Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Brother Aaron. I didn't know you were going to say all of that, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. And you cut into my sermon, so no, I'm just kidding. Um, All right. Well, we're going through a series here on on the stewardship of life, and we've been talking about uh, stewardship, which means management, and how God has blessed us with resources and we are to manage them. And we've been, not been talking about money. We've been talking about uh, health. We've been talking about, uh, you know, last week we talked about the stewardship of relationships. We've talked about the stewardship of health. We talked about the stewardship of our time. This morning, I am preaching on the subject of finances, but it's not what you think. We're not preaching on giving and on, on, on trying to get money out of you. We, what I want to teach you is about the stewardship of finances and how we should manage our finances properly for God. We're there in Proverbs 23, but, but before we get to Proverbs 23, let, let me say this, and let me just kind of give you a couple of thoughts, because you, you may be wondering, like, why would you preach on money management, on, on finance, uh, stewarding finances, you know? And you have to turn here, let me just read this first verse for you, but in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul said this, he says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And I believe that it is my job as a pastor to teach and to preach everything that the Bible says. Everything that God tells in the Bible, it's my job to teach it to you and uh, to help you with that. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can get one of the ushers to help me with a, a bottle of water. If I could get a, a water, I'd appreciate it. Um, so, you know, my job is to teach you the Word of God. My job is to teach you everything that the Bible says. And you know, about once a year, and sometimes I don't do it every year, but about once a year, I like to preach a sermon on the subject of money management and finances, you know, and some of you may have heard this before, and that's okay. Philippians 3.1, you don't have to turn there, says this, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. You know, it is, it's safe for you to hear things over and over again. It is safe for you to review things over and over again, to learn, uh, you know, again, you know, maybe you've heard a sermon. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. To learn, you, you've learned about finances already. You, you've heard sermons like this already, but it's good for you to review it. It's good for you to understand it. Now, let me begin just kind of by way of introduction to set the context when we talk about finances in regards to money. You're there in Proverbs 23. Look down at verse number four. Proverbs 23 and verse four, the Bible says this, labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. I want you to understand that God does not want us to labor to be rich. It is not God's will that our lives be consumed with the idea of money or having money. Our goal in life should not, you know, the Bible talks a lot about laboring, but he's telling us don't labor to be rich. Don't labor to have, you know, lots of money. You're there in Proverbs 23. Turn over a few pages to Proverbs chapter number 30. And do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Proverbs, because we're going to uh, come, we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it throughout the sermon. I want you to be able to get to it quickly. Proverbs chapter 30. While you turn there, let me read for you out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Think about that. 
the root of all evil is the love of money, according to the Bible. So I want you to understand that God does not desire for you and for me to labor for money. To, and what I mean by that is to labor to be rich or to accumulate money. He does not want us to love money. He does not want us to have a goal to be rich. You say, well, what should be our goal in life when it comes to finances? Proverbs chapter 30. Look down at verse number 8. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. The Bible says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Notice what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Here in Proverbs, we we see a prayer when it comes to finances. And he says, look, give me neither poverty nor riches. He's saying, he's praying, Lord, help me not to be poor. But he says, I don't necessarily want to be rich and a millionaire either. He says, feed me with food convenient for me. Notice verse 9. He gives you the reason why. He He says, lest I be full and deny thee. And the truth of the matter is that those who are full financially often deny God. People often get to the place when they have so much money that they think they don't need God anymore. You know, that's why Jesus talked about, you know, it being easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Because oftentimes when people have a lot of money, they get full of themselves. You know, we go out soul winning in these nice neighborhoods and they're not very receptive. We go soul winning in in neighborhoods that are not as nice and they're more receptive. They're more willing to hear the gospel. And here the, in Proverbs it says, lest I be full and then I think he's saying, he's saying, don't, don't give me millions. Don't give me riches because that's, there's a danger that comes with having too much money. And then, but then notice what he says. He says, and say, who is the Lord? Or here's the opposite, lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. He said, I don't want to be poor. Because that might tempt me to steal. That might tempt me to blame God and to take the name of my God in vain. I don't want to be rich because then I might deny thee and and say, who is the Lord and who needs the Lord? What are you saying? He's saying, as a Christian, our goal should be to have enough money to provide for our families, to be comfortable, and to serve God. That's what your goal should be. So look, if you're here this morning and you say, my goal is to be a millionaire. My goal is to be filthy rich. My goal is just to drive this super nice car and to live in this really nice house. You know what? Your heart is wrong and you need to get right with God. Because your goal should never be to labor for riches. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some have coveted after have erred concerning the faith. Now, you're there in Proverbs. Uh, Keep your place there. Go with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 16. God does not want us to love money. God does not want us to serve money. Luke chapter 16. You're in Proverbs. Go to Luke. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 16. And when you get to Luke, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave Luke and we're going to come back to it. All right? So you should have your place in Proverbs and you should have your place in Luke. We're going to go back and forth between those books uh, for the majority of this morning's sermon. Luke chapter 16. Notice what verse 13 says. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13 says, No, no servant can serve two masters. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Notice what he says. He says, ye cannot serve God. Now, if you, were, if you wrote the Bible, or if I wrote the Bible, we would probably end that phrase by saying, ye cannot serve God and the devil. Or we might say, you cannot serve God in yourself. But I want you to notice the word that's used there. He says, ye cannot serve God and mammon. What's mammon? The word mammon basically means material wealth. And here's what he's saying. You cannot serve God and money. 
You cannot serve God and possessions. You cannot serve God. He says, look, you've got to decide what your goal in life. Are you going to co-labor with God or are you going to labor to be rich? And look, we all are tempted at times to maybe emphasize more money and say, well, if I could just, you know, put more time in this area, if I could do more here, maybe. And look, and there's nothing wrong with having money. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But if your goal in life is to be rich, if your goal in life is to labor to be rich, if your goal in life is to have money, you're wrong. Your heart's wrong. And it's going to end up, and look, I've seen it, uh, you know, in the eight years or seven years of ministry, I've seen it happen time and time again. People get covetous, and all it does is it ruins their life. They end up not living for God. They end up having problems in their marriage. They end up having children that are not being raised for God. So please understand, when we talk about managing money, we're not talking about, we're going to make you rich. This is not a prosperity gospel. All right? We're talking about stewarding the resources that God has given us, but the goal is never, and the goal should never be to be rich, to be a millionaire. Now, let me say this. Go into the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning. We're going to try to move quickly. Um, I may read a lot of them to you just for sake of time, but let me say this. With, with that in mind, with that in mind, that the goal is never to be rich. The goal is never to labor uh, to be rich. The goal is never to love money. The goal is never to want to, you know, have millions and to be just the richest person on earth or whatever. You need to understand, with that said, and with that context, God is not against you having money. In fact, some of the people in the Bible that God used the most were people of financial means, were people that had money. There's nothing wrong with the fact that they had money. These people were able to be used of God because they did not love money, because they did not serve money, because money was a tool that they used in their life. It was not a God that they served. Look at Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 2. You have Abraham. You know, Abraham is the patriarch. He's the one that kind of began this whole, you know, this whole thing of, 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 of course, the nation of Israel and then leading into, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, notice what the Bible says about Abraham. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And you say, well, doesn't the Bible say labor not to be rich? I don't believe Abraham was laboring to be rich. I believe Abraham was laboring, like the Bible tells us, to be a good father, to be a good believer, to be a good husband. He was, his purpose and his goal was God, and in that process, God made him rich. So I want you to say, there's nothing wrong with being rich or having money as long as that's not your goal in life, as long as that's not what you're trying to attain. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. Go to Genesis 26. Look at verse number 12. Genesis 26 and verse 12. You have Abraham. Who's the next patriarch? Isaac. Isaac comes after Abraham, the son of Abraham. Genesis 26 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year in hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Notice, his, his financial success came from God. Verse 13, And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. And he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. So we notice that Abraham, the Bible says, is very rich in cattle. We see about Isaac that he has great possessions. He waxed great. Possessions of flocks and herds and servants and to the point that the world was looking at him and they were envying him. Go to Genesis chapter number 30. Genesis chapter 30, you got Jacob. Jacob, who's Isaac's son. And you can say, oh, well, well, you know, these guys are just getting inheritance. Well, Jacob left home with nothing. So we're going to read about what Jacob did 
on his own with God. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 43. Genesis 30 and verse 43. The Bible says this, And the man, talking about Jacob, Notice, increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maidservants and manservants and camels and asses. So notice, Abraham is a wealthy man. Isaac is a wealthy man. Jacob is a wealthy man. These three men are what are known as the patriarchs. They are the fathers of our faith. They are the ones that started this whole thing. And I want you to notice that God often uses men of financial means. There's nothing wrong with having money as long as the money doesn't have you. As long as you're not loving money or in love with money or pursuing money. Go to Luke chapter number 8. If you kept your place there in Luke. While you turn there, let me just give you other examples. How about Boaz? The Bible says about Boaz in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1 that he was a mighty man of wealth. You go to Luke chapter 8. Let me just give you these uh, just for sake of time. I'll I'll, I'll just uh, give them to you. Boaz, the Bible says, was a mighty man of wealth. How about David? The Bible says about David in 1 Chronicles 29, 28 that he was full of days and he was full of riches is what the Bible says. How about Solomon in 2 Chronicles 9.22? The Bible says, and King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And again, I want you to understand, these men were not pursuing uh, wisdom. Uh, excuse me, we're not pursuing riches. In fact, when, when Solomon was asked, you know, what do you want? He, didn't ask, he asked for an, a knowledgeable, understanding heart. He asked for wisdom, but with that, God gave him riches as well because he could trust him. How about Job? Job 42 and verse 12. The Bible says that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And if you read the beginning of Job, he was a wealthy Very wealthy man. In fact, the most wealthy man in his region. How about Joseph of Arimathea? The Bible says that he was a rich man of Arimathea. And he's the one that uh, donated the tomb where the Lord Jesus Christ could have a proper burial. And all I'm trying to explain to you is that in the Bible, you often find that God uses people of financial means. And, 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 and you say, well, why, why is that? Or what is the reason? And, and here's the thing, and I'm not trying to offend you. Let's just get real and practical. The truth of the matter is, because broke people often can't do a lot. There's people in this church, I love you, I'm not mad at you, and you come to me every year, and, and I'm not mad at you, I appreciate it. And you say, I wish I could, you know, I wish I could give in the vision offering. I wish, there's some of you, I wish I could have gone to the Jamaica mission strip and seen Jamaican say, some of you, I wish I could go to the Philippines and see Filipinos say, some of you, I wish I could go and, and start a church, or I wish I could do this and that. But you know what? It all costs money. And oftentimes, we actually are limited to how much we can actually serve God. You know, Joseph of Arimathea wasn't saying, man, I wish I could donate a tomb for the Savior of the world to be properly buried. No, he was a man of financial means that actually had the ability to do that. And what I want you to understand is that God often uses people who have, who are financially sound, but understand that our goal should not be and should never be to love money or to be rich. But with that said, I want you to understand that God wants you to steward your finances well because when you do, because when you do, it will open you up for better ministry. It will open you up to do more for God. It will open you up to be able to serve the Lord. Because here's what it comes down to. Are you there in Luke chapter 8? Look at verse 3. Notice even the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him, talking about Jesus, ministered unto him of their substance. You see that? The Bible says that there was people 
that were ministering to Jesus Christ and his ministry of their substance. Because here's the thing, even in the ministry of Christ, there were financial needs. You know, and here's what you need to understand. Any ministry is going to need men and women who got, who manage their finances well, and God has blessed them so that they can provide for their own, they can provide for their families, they can be comfortable, and then they can invest into the ministry of God. Look, running a ministry costs money. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, make you feel bad or anything like that, but look, you say, oh man, you guys started this church in Vancouver, right? And praise the Lord for it. And, and, and I rejoice to hear of all the great things happening in Vancouver. But you know what? All of that costs money. You know, sending 30 people to the Philippines costs money. You know, and here's the thing. You say, well, Pastor Menes, are we going to slow down? No, we want to start a church in Manila, Philippines. We're moving towards that. We're praying that the Lord will open those doors on our behalf. But you know what? It's going to cost money. I'd like to start a church in Reno, Nevada. I want to start a church in Fresno. I'd like to start about three or four churches in the Bay Area. But you know, all of that is going to cost money. And you say, oh, it's all, it's all about money. No, here, all I'm telling you is that God often used people that were not broke. And again, I'm not telling you, love money, you know, and and give your life to money. No, no, no. Never love money. Never labor to be rich. It'll ruin your life. But at the same time, God wants us to learn how to manage our finances. And God wants us to learn how to be good stewards of the resources that he has given us. You're there in Luke 8. Go to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. Keep your place in Luke and in Proverbs. We're going to be going back and forth. Luke and in Proverbs. And let me say this. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, this sermon isn't for me. And there's two types of people in this room. Those of you who think you are financially set, and you say, I don't need this sermon. I'm doing well financially. All right? Well, here's the thing. If you're doing well financially, then this sermon is for you. Because God expects you to continue to steward your finances properly. And you may find that maybe there are things you could be doing better. Are you there in Luke 16? Look at verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also and much. He says, if you don't do a good job with a little, then you're not going to do a good job with more. And you may say, well, I've got more. Well, you know what? Maybe God wants to bless you with more. Maybe God wants to trust you with more, but he wants you to be faithful with what you've got. Verse 11, if therefore you have not been faithful, notice the context in the unrighteous mammon. God said, if I can't trust you with something as silly and as temporal as money, if I can't trust you with something as worthless when put into the context of eternity as mammon and as, you know, houses and buildings and vehicles and clothes and and money, if I can't trust you with that, who will commit unto you, unto your trust, notice, the true riches. You know that there's better riches than money? There's greater things that we can do with our lives than than money. There's true riches. And God says, if I can't trust you with money, why would I trust you with something else? Look at verse 12. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've got money. I don't need the sermon. No, you know what? Unto whom much is given, much shall be required. And God wants you to make sure that you steward your finances properly. So if you say, oh, I've got, God is blessing me and I've got, then this sermon is for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, this sermon isn't for me because I got no money. Right? I'm the broke one, right? I'm the one who's always wishing I could go there and wishing I could go to that trip and wishing I could go to that soul winning marathon and wishing I could go to that conference. But I can't. You know what? Then this sermon's for you. Because let me explain to you why you're broke. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But God obviously feels that he can't trust you. 
with what you've got. He wants, you to, he wants to see you be faithful with the least so that he can trust you with more. So you know what? This sermon's for you. You need to learn how to steward. Here's what I'm saying. Everybody needs to learn how to steward their money. No matter how broke, no matter how rich, it's all a resource that God has given to us. It's all a resource that God has given us to steward on his behalf, and we all have to learn about it, and we all need to do it properly. Now, let me say this also. I'm going to give you uh, some, some points. I'd like you to write them down. So, and this, is, this sermon is going to be a quick review on some biblical principles on money. I can't preach to you everything the Bible teaches in one sermon. In fact, I have preached an entire series on finances and managing your money. Back in September of 2015, if you're interested, I preached a series called Financial Freedom. We spent five weeks talking about what the Bible teaches about money. And if you are interested in the subject, or maybe you're not interested, but you need to be interested in the subject, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons because we go into a lot more detail than I can go into this morning. To this morning, we're going to do just a quick review. I'm going to give you some, some, uh, just some basic things that you need to understand, and, and, and we're going to move on. But if it's something you're struggling in, I would encourage you to find that series. It's on YouTube. It's on our website under preaching. Listen to those sermons and learn and get your finances in order. But I want to give you uh, several thoughts this morning. I want to give you uh, four points on the subject of stewarding our finances. I'd like you to write these down on on the back of your bulletin, uh, on the back of your course of the week, excuse me. There's a place for you to write down some notes. I'd like you to write these down. If you've got a baby on your lap, I understand. Maybe you can't write, but write these things down. Number one, we must, you must plan your spending. You must plan your spending. Keep your place there in Luke. We're going to come back to it. But go with me back to the book of Proverbs. If you kept your place there in Proverbs, Proverbs 23. And I'm going to try to move through these really fast, all right? You must plan your spending. You must plan. Number one, plan your spending. A spending plan helps you control your money. A spending plan helps you to control your money. Because Look, no matter how rich you are or no matter how broke you are, no matter how good you are at stewarding your finances or how bad you are at stewarding your finances, here is one thing that you know, that I know, and that I know, that you know, and it's this, money has a tendency to disappear. Isn't that true? Doesn't money have a tendency to kind of just fly away? Well, it's interesting because the Bible says that. Are you there in Proverbs 23? Look at verse 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? The word not means that which is not there, that which is gone. He says, uh, will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? That, that's, the, that's the verse, you know, that's the life verse for online banking. Some of you log on to your online banking and you set your eyes on that which is not. Because it's not there, you know? Why? Notice, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. You know what the Bible is teaching here? The Bible is teaching that money has a tendency to disappear. And when money is not controlled, when money is not controlled, you will lose it. You will spend it. Put, put $100 cash in your wallet with no plan and see if you still got $100 in your wallet you know, next week. Because something will happen. Something will come up. You know, oh, man, I'm running out of gas. Uh, you know, I put my card in. It was declined, but I got this 100 bucks, right? Oh, I really got to buy that Kit Kat, right? You know, it's an emergency. I need that Snickers bar or whatever. You know, money has a tendency to disappear. Go to Proverbs 27, verse 24. Proverbs 27. You're there in Proverbs 23? Go to Proverbs 27 and verse 24. That's why I always pack my Kit Kats from home, you know, so that I don't have to buy them at the store. I'm just kidding. We don't buy Kit Kats. Proverbs 27, verse 24. 
I mean, uh, that's, you know, we don't buy Kit Kats because my wife is healthy, and praise the Lord for that. Proverbs 27, verse 24. For the riches, for riches, you know, other than like birthdays and things like that. For riches are, notice what it says, not forever. And look, that's why it's silly to give your life to money, because you know what? Money disappears. Money is not forever. Riches don't last. For riches are not forever. And does the crown endure to every generation? Here's what he's saying. Money has a tendency to disappear. So you need to learn to keep track of your finances. You're there in Proverbs 27, 24. Look at verse 23. Notice the context of riches are not forever. Proverbs 27, 23. The Bible says, be thou diligent. Now, what does the word diligent mean? It means to work hard. He's saying, I want you to work hard. I want you to be diligent. Notice, to know the state of thy flock and look well to thy hurts. Now, this was a society that was, their, their culture was that their flocks and their herds were their money. That's how you knew how well you were doing financially. And God is telling them, hey, know the state of thy flocks. Look well to thy herds. And the way we would apply that today for most of us living in, you know, in, in our culture, in our society, is you need to know what's going on with your money. And again, don't obsess over it. Don't you know, put your, put your uh, uh, hope in money. Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in God. But with that said, whenever God blesses you with money, you need to learn to control it. And the first thing is you need to have a plan for spending your money. You need a spending plan uh, for your money. And, and, and what that means is you need to develop a budget. And that's really the first step to getting control of your money is to develop a budget. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, all right? But if I did, you know what we'd find? We'd find that probably the vast majority of the people in this room do not have a budget. And you say, well, you know, I don't have time, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. But, you know, here's the bottom line. You don't have time to not control your money. And a budget is basically the way that you control your, your money, you know. And, and, and let me say this for some of you. Some of you are like, I really, I've never even heard of such a thing, you know. What's a budget, okay? A budget is when you write down on paper, you know, the income that comes into the home, minus the expenses that go out of the home, the bills, the food, the groceries, all that. And then the goal is that it, you know, you have more at the end or at least zero, not, you know, in the red, all right? Not negative, all right? Now, let me give you, and again, I, I preached an entire sermon on budgeting and all that, and I'm not going to do that this morning, but let me just give you some practical tips on setting up a spending plan or setting up a budget. Just some things about setting up a budget that maybe they'll help you out. Maybe you can write these down, all right? I'm going to, I got eight of them. I'm going to go through them fast. Number one, when it, some practical tips for setting up a spending plan. Number one, make a written budget on paper, not in your head. Oh, my budget's in here. No, you got nothing in there, all right? Write it down. Write it down. If you do not write it down, you do not have a budget. If you do not write it down, you do not have a budget. Make a written budget on paper, not in your head. Number two, make a written budget every time you get paid. Make a written budget every time you get paid, at least once a month. Because you say, well, I get paid once every six months because my business... Okay, that's fine. Once a month, you need a budget, at least. If you get paid... You know, every other week, then make a budget every other week. Don't think, oh, I wrote a budget, you know, back in 1996, I wrote a budget. No, you need a budget, a new budget, a current budget every time you get paid. Number three, there is no such thing as a perfect budget. Every month is different. That's why you need a budget every month. Because your budget in December may look different than your budget in June, all right? Every month is different. Every month requires a new budget at least, and preferably every time you get paid, if you get paid more than once a month. Number four, 
assign a place in your written budget for every dollar that you have. Assign a place in your written budget for every dollar that you have. When you do income minus expense, what you should get at the end is a zero. And you say, well, zero, that doesn't sound like a lot. But here's the point. There should be nothing in your budget that's not accounted for. And you say, well, I've got all this extra spending money. Then account it towards paying off debt. Account it towards that vacation you want to take. Uh, Put it towards the Philippines mission strip. Whatever it is that you want to do. But there should just not be loose money in your account. Loose money that you've not assigned uh, anywhere to. You say, why? Because it's going to sprout wings and fly away. That's why. You need to assign every dollar, every dollar that you have, every dollar that God has entrusted you to manage, you need to assign it a place. And maybe it's, you know, savings, maybe it's debt reduction, maybe it's family vacation, maybe it's whatever, but don't just let it be, ah, whatever, you know, we had extra X amount of dollars, it will disappear, it will go to Starbucks, it will go to McDonald's, it will go to whatever, all right? Make sure that you write it and make sure that you place every dollar on paper on purpose, all right? Number five, make your written budget realistic. Make your written budget realistic. Some people, they, you know, I preach something like this, and they're like, I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to pay off my house in two years. You know, that's probably not going to happen, all right? So make it realistic. Number six, assign a portion. This is important, all right? Assign a portion for recreational spending in your budget. That's part of the whole making it realistic. Here's the truth. You're going to go out to eat. You're going to go get a coffee. You're going to go. So instead of, you know, doing that and then beating yourself up over it and, and oh, I ruined my whole budget, I quit. You know, put in there the fact that you're going to take your wife out on a date. The fact that you're going to go, you know, take the kids out for pizza. The fact that you're going to go get a coffee, you know, or whatever. Put that in there. Assign that already so that way you don't feel bad about doing it. It's something you've given yourself permission to do and you're not overdoing. Number uh, seven. Involve everyone who will be doing any spending. All right? Involve everyone who will be doing any spending. And, and this is, you know, business. This is uh, families, whatever. There's no point of me t- typing up a budget and not telling my wife about it if she's the one doing the grocery shopping. I mean, there has to be communication. You know, here uh, uh, at our church, we've got men on the staff and, uh, you know, uh, leaders in, 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 in church plants or whatever. And they've got cards, you know, with money. Sometimes I have to tell them, you know, go ahead, make that purchase or wait. We're waiting on some checks to clear or whatever. Why? Because whenever you're dealing with money, you have to communicate with everybody. That's how you get overdraft. And that's, you, there has to be, everybody needs to know what's going on. Everybody needs to know where uh, they are. Involve everyone who's doing any spending. Number eight, this is, uh, you know, this, this uh, as far as I know, this was invented by a man named Larry Burkett years ago. He was a Christian. I don't know if he was Baptist. Don't send me an email. But um, he, he uh, you know, he made this, and I think it's a good idea. We use it in our home. Use cash and use a cash and an envelope system. Use a cash and an envelope system. And we like this because basically what we do when we make our budget once a month, I get paid once a month, we make our budget once a month, is we set aside how much money my wife needs for groceries. I go to the bank, I actually pull that cash out, and we put it in an envelope. It's not in her purse, all right? So don't go looking. Um, and, um, and we put it in an envelope called groceries. And here's the thing. She's got all the money she needs for the month for groceries, right? And we've got an envelope that's called spending money. And that's for us to go out to eat, 
That's for us to, you know, go get ice cream with the kids. That's for us to go get a cup of coffee. And we've determined how much we feel comfortable spending in that area, you know, once a week. So for a four-week month, we put that much in there for a month. We've got an envelope that says spending. And you say, well, what's the point of the, uh, of, of, of the, of the envelope system? Here's the wonderful thing about the envelope system. That if we drive into Starbucks... And I'm going to pick up a, a coffee, and my wife's going to get a coffee or whatever, and we drive into Starbucks. And I say, honey, pull out the spending envelope, and she pulls out the spending envelope, and she opens it up, and there's nothing in there. We've already spent it. Then you know what we do? We put the car in reverse, and we get out of Starbucks. You know what you do? Oh, I'll put it on a credit card. When you don't have a plan, see, we've determined this is how much money we can spend on you know, spending on dates, on things that are fun. We put that away. We've determined what it is. It's in the envelope. When it's done, guess what? It's done. When the grocery money is done, we fast. You know, I mean, you know, we don't fast. You know what I mean. But when we, we spend the plan, we plan it out. We say, this is how much we've got, you know, and then we stick to that plan. And some of you need to create an envelope system. Some of you need to create an envelope that says, you know, Philippines mission trip, maybe not 2018, but 2019 or, or whatever, you know, and, and, and get spending money and get grocery money. And, and, and you know, you maybe you need to buy clothes for the kids or whatever, a Christmas uh, envelope, whatever it might be. But you need to plan your spending. You need to plan your spending. Why? Because money has a tendency to disappear. You know that. You know that. And if you don't tell your money what to do, you will wonder where it went. If you don't tell your money where to go, you will spend it and not even know it. So you must plan your spending. Number two, go, go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 41. Keep your place in Luke, keep your place in Proverbs. Uh, I'll try to go through this a little quicker. Um, that was probably the, the longest point. I'll, go, I'll try to go through these faster. I said, number one, plan your spending. Number two, prepare for the future. Prepare for the future. Now, we learn a principle of this in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 4. 41. Joseph has a lot of great truths in it. I'm not preaching on Joseph this morning. I'm not going to develop it all. I just want you to see this real quickly. Genesis 41 and verse 1. Genesis 41 and verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass at the end of two full years. That's two full years of Pharaoh, uh, uh, excuse me, of Joseph being forgotten in prison by the butler. That Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind. All right, so he has this dream. He sees these seven cows that are well-favored and fat flesh, and they fed in the meadows. These are healthy cows. These are fat cows. Verse 3, And behold, seven other kind came out after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean flesh, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and the lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind, so Pharaoh awoke. And he slept and dreamed the second time. So you had a first dream. You got seven healthy Fat cows come out. You got seven scrawny cows, and the scrawny cows, the ill-favored cows, eat up the fat cows. That's his first dream. Verse 15, And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. She's got seven ears of corn that are good corn. And behold, seven thin ears. 
and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Skip down to verse number uh, 14, just for sake of time. Notice what the Bible says, Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his garment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it, and I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream and interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. I always love it how these men are always giving the glory to God. It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And you know, that's a problem we have in our Facebook generation today that we're all trying to just constantly get the glory. It's all about me. You know, Joseph was a man that was mightily used of God. Daniel was a man that was mightily used of God. Because when they were in these positions where they were before the king and they were getting all the glory, they said, you know what, it's God. And we had to learn to live our lives in that way. Where we say, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Look at verse 29. Behold, there came seven years. So skip down to verse 29, uh, just for sake of time. Notice what he's going to tell them. He explains the dream to him, and then he's giving him the interpretation. He's telling him what he needs to do. He says, Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of famine, uh, of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. Look at verse 32. And for that... And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will surely bring it to pass. Verse 33, now therefore, he says, look, there's coming seven years of plenty, and then there's coming seven years of famine. That's what the dreams were about. It's established by God. And you say, well, what do we do with that information? Verse 33, now therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part that's 20 percent of the land of egypt in the seven plenteous years verse 35 and let them gather all the food of those good years that come notice these words and lay up what is he saying there he's saying and save it corn under the hand of pharaoh and let him keep food in the cities and that food shall be for store you see those words that's talking about savings to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. What is the principle that's being taught here? Go to Luke. If, if you kept your place in Luke, go to Luke 15. What is the principle that's being taught here? Here's the principle. When times are good, save for the times of famine. You have to prepare for the future. There may come years of famine. There may come years, you may lose your job. The economy may go down. You, you may, you know, get demoted. You may, whatever, business may slow down. And what the Bible is teaching us is when things are going well, when things are going well, don't spend it all. Say, well, how do I keep from spending it all? Well, point number one, create a spending plan. Create a plan to make sure that not 100% of what's coming in is going out. Why? Because here's what I can tell you. A famine is on its way. It's always on its way. One of these days, I'm going to preach an entire series on just all the famines in the Bible and all the stupid things that people did during times of famine. Like we learned about in the book of Ruth where they, where they left, you know, the house of God because there's a famine, you know, to go be with the, with the Moabites, with the heathen. You know, people do all sorts of stupid things whenever there's a famine. Hey, but you know what? You wouldn't be tempted to do those stupid things if you'd laid in store when things were good for the days when things are not good. Are you there in Luke 15? 
Look at verse 11. Let me give you an example of one other famine in the Bible. And he said, a certain man had two sons. You know this parable. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there, so the younger son gets his inheritance from his father. And he goes, and notice what it says, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. You know what he didn't have? A budget. (laughs) He did not have a spending plan. He took all his money and said, it's party time. And he wasted his substance with riotous living. And what he did not consider, verse 14, and when he had spent it all, that's always how it is. And when he had spent all, notice, there arose a a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. You know what would have been smart for this young man to do? To lay in store in the times of blessings for the days of famine. You are a foolish person with money if you spend 100% of what comes in. First of all, you're you're, you're not right with God when you spend 100% of what comes in because God commands you to return to him 10%. And I believe that one of the reasons that God has put the tithe in the Bible is to teach us to have some character to realize that not everything that comes in has to be spent. He's teaching us to live below our means. He's teaching us to spend less than what comes in. And some of that, look, 10% of that needs to go to God. But you know, a certain percentage of that needs to be going, needs to be put away and realizing the economy may slow down, business may slow down, I may lose my job one day, there, may be, there might come days of famine, there might come a day when I cannot work, there might come a day, and, and prepare for that, and prepare for that, because here's, here's what I know, it's coming, a famine is coming, a famine is always coming. So you must prepare for the future. Did you keep your place in Proverbs? Go to Proverbs 11. And today, and we're not, we're, look, we're not talking about, I'm going to save to be a millionaire. We're not talking about that, all right? We already covered that. Labor not to be rich. Love not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. We've already covered all that. I'm not talking about, you need to save to be a millionaire and bless God. No, no, no. We're just talking about, hey, have some smarts and realize that there might come days where things are tight. There might come days when things aren't going well. And you know, the Bible speaks well of people who save. Let me give you two examples. Proverbs 11 and verse 16. Proverbs eleven sixteen says, A gracious woman retaineth honor. Notice, a strong and strong man. Notice, Proverbs eleven sixteen. And strong men retain riches. Isn't that interesting? Strong men retain riches. Say, why does it say strong men retain riches? Shouldn't it say wise men retain riches? Shouldn't it say, you know, mathematical men retain riches? Why does it say strong men retain riches? Let me tell you why it says strong men retain riches. Because it's a strong man who says, you know what? I really want to go on that trip. I really want to make that purchase. I really want to, you know, make that decision. And when you've got a salesperson saying, we'll we'll lend it to you. I mean, we've got a great rate, 19.9%. It takes a strong man to say, you know what? We'll wait. We'll save. We won't purchase that on credit. We're not going to purchase that. We're not going to do that. We're not, that's going to put us in a bad position. Because here's the thing. Here's the problem. When you are just have so many bills overwhelming you, you can't. You're, you know what you're doing? You're on your knees every day. Lord, please don't let a famine come. Please don't let a famine come. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're praying, Lord, please don't let a famine come. Please don't let a famine come. Because a famine, even a small one, will destroy you. But a strong man. A strong man 
will have the character and the discipline to say, you know what, things are going well right now. And instead of going to that restaurant, instead of going on that trip, instead of buying that toy, instead of having that fun, we're going to put some of this away because a famine may come one day. You need to plan your spending. You need to prepare for the future. Go to Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Let me give you one more on this. Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Proverbs 21 20 says, There is treasure... Proverbs 21 and verse 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil, notice, in the dwelling of the wise. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man, notice what the fool does, spendeth it up. See, a wise man has treasure and oil in his house. He's ready in case a famine comes. A foolish man just spends it all up. So what does the Bible teach about stewarding our finances? Well, number one, it teaches that we must plan. Plan your spending. Number two, it teaches that we must prepare for the future. Number three, go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Number three, you must pay off debt. You must pay off debt. Now let me say, let me say this about debt, and we're going to look at the verse here. Some people teach that having debt is a sin. I don't believe that. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that if you're in debt, you're a sinner, okay? The Bible says, oh man, nothing, oh, oh man, nothing but to love, and we understand that. But the context is not teaching that, a, that being in debt is a sin, all right? So let me, let me just say this, and I'm saying this as lovingly and as caringly as I can as a pastor. Let me say this. If you are in debt, you are not in sin. But if you are in debt, you are not smart. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. And there was a day when we were in debt, and you know what? I wasn't smart. Because debt, the Bible does not teach that debt is a sin, but the Bible does teach very clearly that debt is not wise. And you, know, and you say, well, oh, what do you mean? Here, you, let me, let me say, explain something to you. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. And look, and I realize, you, say, you know, we live in California. You say, how am I going to buy a house? I'm not talking about paying cash for a house in California. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you going out to dinner on a credit card. I'm talking about you buying, you know, a, a, a toy or buying clothes on a credit card and, by, and you know, you're going to lose that thing and still be paying, putting payments on that. I, I'm talking about going on vacations on a credit card. That is not smart. That is a very foolish thing to do. I'm talking about, you know, bu- you know buying things and doing things that will not last, where you will be paying interest on that thing for years and years and years and years and years. You don't even remember, you know, we got $10,000 on this card. I don't even know what I did with this thing. It's not smart. I'm not trying to hurt your feet. I'm trying to help you. It's not smart. It's not wise. You say, are you saying that? No, the Bible says that. Proverbs 22, look at verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor. The rich ruleth over the poor. And people always want to, you know, people always want to attack the rich and say, oh, those rich people, they, you know, the, the 1%, they're always trying to hurt us and they're always trying to this and they're always trying to that. But you know what? The rich ruleth over the poor. You know how they do it? And the borrower is servant to the lender. If you're so anti the Illuminati and the conspiracy and the big banks, then why do you get their money? I'm anti the big banks. Then don't take their loans. How about that? The, the, the rich rules over the poor when the poor allows them to. When the poor allows themselves to be a borrower, the borrower is servant to the lender. And here's what you need to understand. Debt is a tool of bondage. I'm not talking about physical bondage. I'm talking about financially, it bounds you. 
Financially, it burdens you. Financially, it does not help you. Go to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. While you turn there, let me uh, read to you from 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. You go to Deuteronomy 28. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Now there, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. She's talking about a man who was a good man. He was in ministry. He was a prophet. He was not a sinful man. She says, thy, my, my husband is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. But notice what she says about her husband. We know he's a good man, but we also know that he was a little bit of a foolish man because he says, and the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. He was in debt. And you know what? He died and he left his wife in a position where she didn't know what to do. And we know the story in 2 Kings, Elisha comes through and performs a miracle and helps them. But look, unless you're just waiting for Elisha to show up, you know, you need to get a plan going to pay off your debt so that you won't be a servant to the rich, so that you won't be in bondage, so that it will not be a burden. And here's what you need to understand. Debt is not a sin, but debt is not God's best. It's not a sin. But it's not God's best. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 12. Deuteronomy 28, 12 says, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. God is saying, when I'm blessing you, you'll lend and not borrow. Notice what he says in verse 13. And the Lord shall make the head and not the tail. He says, when you are lending and not borrowing, when you're in a position where you could actually go into business and do some things financially, and you're not the one that's always asking, you know, to borrow, you know what he says? You're the head and not the rear end. That's what he says. And not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. You know what that does? It keeps you down. It brings you down. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. Verse, uh, verse 43, look what it says. Deuteronomy 28, 43. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high. Thou shalt come down very low. Now he's talking about the curse. He said, here's the curse. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. When you're borrowing, God says, you're not the head, you're the tail. You say, why? Because debt keeps you from getting ahead in life. Let me, let me make a couple of practical statements. Number one, about debt. Number one, many people live paycheck to paycheck because of debt that they have. And it's often debt. You say, I can't save because it's probably because of debt. I can't put away money. I, 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 I'm living paycheck to paycheck. It's probably because of debt. It's probably because you, you're driving a car you should have never bought. Come on. Let's be real. You're wearing clothes you just can't afford to wear. Because you know, you're living in a house you probably shouldn't be living in. Because we, we want to always look good, and we want to look like we're successful. But you know what's better than looking like you're successful? is being successful. Amen. You know what's better than looking like you got it going on? is to actually just look humble and look like, like, like you're a servant of the Lord, but actually not be afraid when a famine comes. Many people live paycheck to paycheck because of the debt they have. The same people that get behind, these are the same people that get behind when a financial crisis, even a small one, hits them. You know, they get cut back on the hours, they lose their job, there's an unexpected bill that shows up, and their life just goes into turmoil. But that wouldn't happen 
if you were living below your means. That wouldn't happen if you were saving money. Number three, they cannot save because there's no money left over after the bills to save. They cannot change their career, you know, to make more money because they can't afford, you know, to go into training or to go into a new field and maybe take a pay cut that will eventually, you know, be better for them. Most of this, if not all of this, could be avoided if you simply had no debt. Debt keeps you down. It keeps you low. It keeps you from getting financially ahead. And let me say this, you know, my wife and I, we are far from being rich. All right? We are not rich. I don't want you to get this idea that we got it rich. Okay, if you, if you are wondering about us being rich, you know, come to my house. All right? It is not, you know, we live, you know where we live? We, we live closer to the poverty side, you know, at that Proverbs parable. All right, and, and here's the thing, and, it's, uh, and we're, we're happy with it. God has blessed it. It's exactly what we need. It's as big as we need it to be. It's, as, it's great. It's wonderful. We're, but let me tell you something. Years and years and years and years and years ago, before I was a pastor, my wife and I went on a crusade to get out of debt. You know, and, and, and right now, praise the Lord, we're out of debt, except for the house, of course. We live in California, all right? But, uh, and we're working on that, you know? But, but here's the thing. Let me tell you something. I believe that some of the things that we have done in our lives, God has allowed us to do it because of the fact that we weren't in debt. Because you know what? The first three years of this church, I worked a full-time job while pastoring a full-time church, but the church didn't pay me. But you know what? I was able to work just as many hours as I needed to work to put food on the, on, on the plates you know, and to pay the bills. And I didn't have to work a ton of other hours. I could focus on the ministry because we did not have debt. And I believe God blessed that. And I believe God's been blessing us with that, you know, ever since. And I just want to encourage you, take that yoke off. You know, get a plan. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. You know, maybe it's a five-year plan. Maybe it's a ten-year plan. But get a plan to get out of debt. Get a plan to save some money. Get a plan to control your spending. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. This is the last one. We're almost done. Proverbs chapter 3. Number one, plan your spending. Number two, prepare for the future. Number three, pay off your debt. Number four, you say, here, here we go. All right, here we go. Number four, practice generous giving. Practice generous giving. You want God to bless you financially? I'm not, look, I'm not prosperity. I'm not T.D. Jakes up here. All right. But, uh, but you can't get away from it in the Bible. You want God to bless you financially? Practice generous giving. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. What's thy substance? Your, your financial wealth. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Here's what I know. The people who are doing the best financially are the most generous with their money. It's the truth. You say, I can't afford to give. I, you know what? I can't afford not to give. I want God to bless me. I, I need God to bless me. I got five kids depending on me and one on the way. I've got a wife depending on me. I need God's blessing on my life in the, fi- in the areas of finances. So you know what I need to do? I need to make sure I'm honoring the Lord with my substance. I need to make sure I'm honoring him with the first fruits of all my increase, which is your tithe. I need to make sure that the first check I make when I get paid is tithe to God that belongs to him. And then I want to give to him. I want to be part of the vision offering. I want to give to missions. I want to give to, you know, just opportunities that, that I can. I want to to be able to help people out in that area. What? You say, I can't afford to do that. No, you know what? You can't afford not to. Because when you practice generous giving, when you practice generous giving, God says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. 
So when it comes to finances, when it comes to finances, just giving you principles, stewarding your finances for the glory of God. What do you do? Number one, plan your spending. Some of you need to go home this afternoon and write a budget. And it's not going to be easy if you've never done it before. You need to sit down and say, how much money does come in to this house? How, how much money do we spend? How, honey, how much money have we spent at Starbucks? You know, how, how much money, have, you know, something you can go online and, and it'll tell you, you know, all the money you spend in fast food. You, you may be shocked. You know, you could have funded a missions trip with the amount of money you spent. You know, you need to budget. You need to plan your spending. You need to prepare for the future. You need to pay off your debt. You need to practice generous giving. And here's the worst thing. Here's the worst thing. Some of you are hearing me say this right now. You're hearing me say it right now. And praise the Lord. You're living for God. You're doing well. A year from now, you'll hear me say it again. And a year from now, you'll hear me say it again. And a year from now, you'll hear me say it again. And you know what? You'll be in the same place because you're not doing anything. A wise man will do what he's taught. Did I pull out any books or any financial charts? Everything I showed you came straight out of the Bible. This is what the Bible says. This is God's plan for your finances. Get on his plan. He'll bless you. Get on his plan. He'll help you. Get on his plan. He will. It's going to take time. It's going to take time to pay off debt, to get on a budget. You're going to fail and you got to get back on. But look. God desires not only for us to steward our relationships, not only for us to steward our health, not only for us to steward our time. God's desire is that we would steward our finances for his glory. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible, Lord. I'm always amazed that the Bible truly has the answer for everything. There is not one subject on earth that we cannot find in Scripture. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd help me. I'm preaching this sermon and I'm doing the